As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, Allocation Disorder listeners. This is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show. I promise not to take up too much of your time uh, with this episode. It is just Paul and Sam, but it does require a bit of a disclaimer. This episode was recorded last Thursday evening before we all found out that Daryl Grove had passed away. They, full disclosure, sent this to me, I think, like Thursday, late Thursday night, early Friday morning. Uh, and my response to them saying, like, hey, we, like, we think it was a good show was, uh, I am probably not going to be able to put this episode out, at least not today. Uh, and then I told them the news they were both incredibly supportive and have always been incredibly supportive of us and that's why i basically left this episode untouched because i think what they say is tremendously meaningful and meant a lot to me i know it would have meant a lot to daryl um but also because while they're saying nice things about us it's funny to listen to because so much of what they say about daryl and about the uh, total soccer show is how both daryl and myself felt and continue to feel about the two of them uh when we first learned that paul and sam wanted to start a podcast we were really excited it it felt like the obvious slam dunk of like, well, these two are going to be great. And they are. And uh, I think the other part of why we're so excited is because we came to realize that Paul and Sam are are buddies. I think I didn't know that before they started the podcast. Maybe I should have. They've always been very friendly. uh, But listening to them... I hear that same friendship, I hear that same bond, and and it makes me smile, and it makes me want to continue to listen to soccer podcasts. So I just wanted to explain the situation up front and thank them for their very kind words, and thank you all for your kind words and for supporting both our show and theirs. And with that, I will turn it over to some music and then Sam. Hello and welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stayskull, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. Paul, I would be remiss if we didn't start tonight's show with in a little bit of a somber place. Um, there was some very sad news over the weekend from our friends at Total Soccer Show about Daryl Grove, one of the co-hosts of the show. Daryl has been battling cancer for quite some time now and unfortunately it's taken a turn for the worse um the total soccer show guys daryl and and taylor uh are a big reason this show exists um for those who do not know they produce this show um they did this out of mostly the goodness of their hearts uh they did not need to no one made them do it um but they believed in paul and i 
when they didn't really have any reason to. We had never done this before. Uh, they took a shot at us uh, on us. Um, they have been endlessly patient with us as we've sort of tried to learn some of this. Um, they've tried to teach us. Uh, they've done a nice job of that, too. Um, and they've been so, so helpful to us along the way. And I think I can speak for both Paul and myself when I say our heart goes out to Daryl and his family and to Taylor, too. Um, it's a really difficult situation. Personally, you know, I didn't know Daryl super well, or I don't know Daryl super well. Uh, I've, I met him a few times. We spent some good time together. Actually, the, the last live soccer game I went to, uh, in February, I want to say, an NYCFC against San Marcos Champions League game. Uh, Daryl and Taylor and I, and a few others were all there together, as a matter of fact. Um, but, our, our friend Adam Snavely, uh, who used to do some work for us at The Athletic, he wrote a really nice kind of tribute to Daryl earlier this week, and I'm just going to read from it for a second. Um, Adam wrote that Daryl lives life well. It suits him. He is a person who seems to effortless, effortlessly float from person to person, relationship to relationship, and give people all of his attentiveness. And that's quick, and it's brief, but that's the Daryl that I know, Um a really remarkable guy. And when you were talking to him or when you are talking to him, you always felt like you had his full, genuine, earnest attention. And he he radiates all this positivity. Um, and I always found that really remarkable just in the small snippets, um, that I, I spent with him over the last year, year and a half. Um, so like I said, um, my thoughts with him, with his family, and, and with Taylor, too. Um, and, uh, yeah, those guys in their show are worth supporting. So if you don't already listen to them, um, go ahead and get on that. Uh, they're, they're part of, uh, we're part of their family, really. So um, go and support them, especially in this time. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to let a lot of what you said um, stand on its own. I'm, I'm just going to keep it brief in that. Um, I'm very grateful and thankful for so many reasons that I got a chance to join the athletic. Um, but one of those is that, um, within a couple weeks of taking the job, George Qureshi, uh, who was our editor at the time, organized a trip to Philadelphia for, um, I believe the MLS draft. And, um, we got an Airbnb house and I got a chance to meet Taylor and Daryl for the first time. Uh, we shared a meal together along with a few other people. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful that I um, have had the chance to get to know them. We've, we've been able to hang at multiple MLS events since. Uh, I, I even got up on stage when they were doing their tour with uh, the Cooligans and, and only slightly made a fool of myself. Um, uh, and I, I would say and echo what you said about Daryl, just in how gracious he's always been, how nice Taylor and Daryl have all, always been, um, and the support that they've given us and shown us on this show to make us a part of the TSS family. And, you know, while Daryl um, was fighting cancer, to take the time that he did and has to try to make this show better, to send us really long emails with really detailed critiques of the show of super, how, uh, super helpful, emails. super helpful <laughs> critiques that, that made us better. And like, I was always amazed that he would take the time to put in the work to, to try yeah. to make us better. Um, and it just is indicative of the person he is. So, um, 
all of my love and thoughts uh, are with Daryl and his family, with Taylor, um, with the TSS community and family who have been listening for a very long time. Um, and thank you for tuning into this show as well. And I hope that, um, that we are able to execute some of the tips that Daryl's given us and, and have this show reach the standards that he wanted it to reach um, when he gave us those notes. And uh, again, I just really appreciative that I've had the, the luck, the opportunity to have um, Daryl as a part of my life and, and the, and Taylor as well. TSS is a part of my life. Yeah. Well said. Um, that's the coolest part of being in this business is meeting a lot of cool, like-minded people. Um, and that certainly applies in this situation. Uh, but we do have a show that we are planning on doing, um, as long as we don't get too off the rails and too far away from Daryl's advice. Um, so we can go ahead and get into that. Uh, Paul, I- I'm going to have you kind of set it up this time because you are writing an article about one of your favorite topics. And I'm stunned that you're, you know, you're even going both sides on this thing, man. I got to say, but before we get in there, you just go ahead and explain it for us, okay? Well, the the crux of my story um, is essentially the usefulness or not usefulness of the homegrown territory rule in MLS. And people who know me or really actually people who follow me on Twitter know what I think about the homegrown territory rule, which let me explain is that every major league soccer team has a territory where they are able to draw players into their academy and sign them as homegrowns. For most teams, it is their entire city or market. For teams in New York and L.A. where they share a market, it is a 75-mile radius around their stadium. Um, and I think Chicago is that too, right? Yeah, Chicago, I mean, most teams are, are essentially that, right? Miami, Some Some teams Orlando, have whole some states teams have depending much on, your, territories on your depending territory. On the, the, you know, how, um, how many players are in that radius, right? Um, and the, the idea of those territories is that no major league soccer team, competing MLS team, can go into that territory and sign any young players to its academy or to a professional contract. Um, I have called it the worst rule in major league soccer, um, which is saying something considering if anyone's listened to the show, they know that I, I don't like some of the rules in this league. Um, <laughs> And when I when I um, tweeted that it was the worst rule in Major League Soccer, um, and the reason that this is a both sides story, Sam, to be totally transparent, is I got a text um, from a GM basically, you know, saying, "Hey, if you ever want to debate this, like I'm happy to." He actually, call cha- you. I believe he challenged you to a duel. He, he essentially challenged me to a duel. He took off his glove and slapped you with it in the face. Well, that didn't happen until <laughs> I called him, and then then the glove came off and he slapped me in the face. And uh, he he is quoted in this piece. Um, so you know, the the idea that we want to talk about on this show is why does this rule exist? Um, what you know, is the purpose behind it for Major League Soccer? And is it valid? Um, and and if it changes, what does it look like? So a lot to go, a lot to write about. Very difficult to sort through all of it. Sam, you've seen a very rough draft. Don't don't that, think it's that difficult. That to the sort people will personally. not get to see. Um, where I'm trying to answer all of those questions as uh, as clearly as possible, because I think. Ultimately, um, it's going to be a messy uh, change 
because there's going to be so much compromise that has to happen in order for the rule to change, as is typical sometimes with MLS when you have two sides of a debate and no one's really willing to totally cede their side. Um, but I think, you know, more importantly, it does seem like changes is on the horizon. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. We've been saying that for like three years. So we'll see on that front. But let's uh, let's break it down. Let's go brass tacks here. Tenario. Um well, I just took Some a sip people... of beer. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Watch out, folks. <laughs> so basically, your general argument, one that I've largely agreed with over the years, is eliminate the territories. Let teams go and get academy players from wherever they want and let the kids go wherever they want. And that will lead to the most efficient outcomes. Um, and of course, you'll have to structure things in such a way, build in some protections. Um, now... You're going to play Ollie Curtis in this debate. I just decided. Um, sorry. That's no fun. But, you know, well, you know, sorry. Um, so, so what's the argument against it? Cause it seems pretty simple to me, right? It's if you, it's like breaking up a, a monopoly basically. And if you break up a monopoly, you usually get better outcomes for the consumer. It makes it a little harder for the person that you're breaking up the monopoly from, but it also drives some competition, which should drive some innovation and better practices and all that stuff. Um, so, so what's, what's the downside here? Well, I think there are two major points that, um, Ali Curtis makes, uh, in this story. And the first is that Toronto FCGM, for those who aren't unaware. The first is that this would open up a whole, Pandora's box of recruiting issues that we see in college athletics, that we see in AAU basketball, that there's already sort of a CD side of youth sports and of even already at the academy level with agents advising parents and parents who want more for their kids than maybe their kids um, are ready for at that time or whatever it may be, and that this only enhances it, right? Because now you'll have agents telling kids, don't sign with your home market. We're going to shop you around. We're going to find the best MLS team and the best offer that you can get, the most money that you can get. Um, and I think there is some validity to that. Um, you know, Two other areas that I think Ali Curtis really believes strongly in is, also, is one of them is the idea of um, separating kids from their families and, and, and the amount of focus that would go on recruiting kids out of markets and taking them across the country or to different areas. And um, I think he believes that we should, that there is a level of support that MLS teams can provide in market that is important to the development of the human being beyond just the development of the player. Um, and that, you know, that's an important part of development in general. And the last point he makes is, you know, there just hasn't been enough time yet for these academies. Some of them have existed since 2007. Um, many of them have not. You look at the number of expansion teams that have come into MLS, you know, even starting with Orlando City launching their academy just five years ago. So Orlando City, NYCFC were that 2015 year. Since then, we've had Atlanta United, LAFC, Nashville, Cincinnati, Minnesota, um, so there are a lot of teams operating in their second, third, fourth year of an academy, and it's simply not enough time to give those teams a chance to fully invest in those communities and to actually see what they can produce. So those are the major points that Ali Curtis makes. And, and his belief is if you protect those territories, 
it allows those teams to invest heavily in player development and coaching development and community development. And that is going to lead to better player development. Whereas if you open things up and it becomes a little bit more of the wild, wild west, a lot more focus is on recruitment and on looking for the best players in later age groups so that you can sign them quickly to your first team. And there's a less of a focus on the development aspect and it will become a less efficient system that produces fewer professional players in this country. Well, lots to unpack there. I disagree with a lot of it. Uh, I agree with some of it. I think the whole notion of a CD underbelly rising, I think there's some validity to that. Uh, I think there are some protections that you can kind of build in for kids uh, and their parents. Maybe, you know, you can, you don't allow kids to go until they're 16. Um, maybe there's a limit on the number of kids teams can take, right? There, there are certain things that you can do to sort of protect against that, but I get that that's a valid concern. Um, I think the whole idea though about, you know, kids leaving home and, you know, maybe that being harmful for them or teams spending too much time focusing on recruiting, all of that stuff's happening now in MLS, Right. You have all of these areas around the country that are unclaimed territories. They're open season for everybody to go into if they want, right? And so you have teams like Kansas City going into North Carolina to get Gianluca Busio and Jalen Lindsay, and they put them up with host families in, in Kansas City, and those kids played in the academy for a year or two, and then they became homegrown players. And now they're both pros who get minutes for Kansas City. Seattle has done the same thing with players in Central California and Vegas, right? Areas that don't fall under an MLS team's territory, and you can go and recruit kids. So, so it's already happening, one, right? And, and two... You know, the whole idea that you have to have this monopoly, you have to have these t this territorial protection, otherwise you're not going to focus on development and coaching and the right things. To me, that's a complete fallacy. I mean, you can focus on whatever the hell you want to, right? If you're a club, no one's forcing you to focus on recruitment if you don't want to. If you live or if you're based in a big city like New York or LA or Dallas or Chicago or Houston or... Toronto or Miami or half the damn cities in the league, then you don't need to recruit. You have enough good players in your backyard. So you don't have to go out and recruit anybody if you don't want to. Sam, I'm going to jump in there because for this story, I did interview um, two people on the record who are on the record who are on opposing sides of this debate. Peter Vermees in Kansas City, Ali Curtis in Toronto. I have a few other interviews lined up on the record, but I obviously I spoke with some um, MLS front office executives on background just in kind of getting a feeling for what some of the arguments are on both sides of the equation. And I think that point you made is a really important one because I spoke to a few people from bigger markets and that's exactly what they said. Um, just because recruitment becomes an option from outside your market doesn't mean it's the focus of those teams, right? If you are Houston or Chicago or LA there is very little usefulness or justification in spending any chunk of your budget looking outside the market for players. When you're in a market, I just I live in Chicago, so I know of nine and a half million people in the metropolitan area in Chicago, right? The number of soccer players in that market is massive. It's not 
the same situation for Kansas City or Portland. Um, but, you know, that is an important factor. And I think it's certainly one that, um, that people in the bigger markets in Major League Soccer understand. And, and I think there is, um, on the flip side of that, there is some protectionism that exists, right? In that they know there, there's a massive amount of value in being the only team that is allowed to look in a market as big as Chicago or Houston or LA or Miami where I mean the- LA LA and New York there is a little bit of competition, right? LAFC and the Galaxy can go get the same kids, right? They and, and same with with Red Bull and New York City FC. That and, and even Philly in that case is in the mix in, in in the area that I'm in up here in the Northeast. So there is some competition already and I don't think that's a bad thing. That means you have to make your academy better and you have to you have to play the kids. And and you know what? Or you don't. And that's fine too. You create your own model, right? And let the chips fall where they may. I mean, I can't I can't believe we made it this far into the show without have we mentioned Caden Clark yet? No, I mean it's the lead of my story, right? I mean, I think he is yeah. the prime example of what's wrong with this rule. This is a kid who's born and raised in Minnesota, plays for the Minnesota Thunder Academy, leaves Minnesota to go play for the Barcelona Residential Academy in Arizona before Minnesota United even ever has an academy for him to play at. Eventually leaves Barcelona and signs with New York Red Bulls too, who who eventually want to promote him to their MLS team. In order to do so, they had to pay Minnesota United $75,000 in allocation money, a number that could increase according to one source. I'm, I'm working to confirm that with another source. But, you know, that is to me ludicrous. That a club that had zero investment in the player, zero to do with the development of the player, zero identification of the player before they left for Arizona or after they left for Arizona to get them into the system, would get compensation from a team that did identify the player, did bring them in, did sign them to a, a USL contract, did develop them at that level to some degree, and, and, and then wanted to sign them. And and I think what's worth pointing out here is this ended up working out in the sense that the Red Bulls were willing to pay to bring Caden Clark in. Right. That's not right. going to be the case every time. There are examples. Christian Kappas is the best example of a, a market, Houston, claiming a homegrown territory claim on a kid who was in the Dallas Academy, who wanted to sign with Dallas. And Houston said, no, we want to sign you. And the kid didn't want to play for Houston, had never played for Houston, and opted instead of playing for Houston to leave MLS and go overseas. So Major League Soccer loses a talented young American player because of a stupid rule. And this is the other side of the CD underbelly that we were talking about. Is it, I don't, does that make it an overbelly? I don't know. But, you know, it's... The dad it's jokes are mine, eight. Sam, on this show. The dad jokes are mine. Wow. I mean, I'm going to claim homegrown territory over those. I might not be the father on this show, but I do I do make more dad jokes than you do. I don't think you can dispute that. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. 
Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Go ahead, know, dispute I it. I, I saved my bank of dad jokes for my uh, un- unfortunately for Nikki, who gets to hear the, the vast majority of them. But anyways, we continue. I interrupted you. You should save them for your daughter, not your wife. But anyway, um, we don't need to be particular about that. I don't even really remember where I was going. I'm I'm off track. I'm the rattled. overbelly, Sam. Um, the overbelly. Yes, the overbelly. Um, that's MLS teams holding a kid hostage and, and preventing what that person wants to do with their career and the choices that they want to make. And why? Right? What right do they have to do that? They didn't play any role in that kid's development. They shouldn't have any rights there, but they do artificially. And that to me is bogus. Well, so, well that's, that's major league soccer know. though, right? I mean, we talk about this all the time, Sam, in that MLS by design and a design that's worked well for the growth of the league, right? Let's, yeah, they're let's, always gonna, there's going to be some issues in any design. Well, right? they, they so. built a bubble. They built a bubble around essentially the domestic player pool in MLS, right? And that I thought bubble, you were talking about. I thought you were talking about the tournament again. Not the M- tournament. No. The bubble. This is the this is the the like, original, the OG bubble, right? It was to essentially artificially tamp down cost, right, on the domestic player pool, and that was needed for the survival of the league, right? You needed to kind of keep prices down and keep American the American market separate from the international market. And the, the, what's interesting is the ramifications of that now are that MLS is trying to play catch up, right? Because the gap, we talk about the perception gap all the time on this show too, has, has, has grown, right? Between the perception of the American player, not just with fans, but in the marketplace and the level of the players, right? And they're trying to, to close that gap, um, pop that bubble a little bit. But what we know is on the youth level, they've, they've maintained that bubble with these homegrown territory rights. In fact, now there's 26 different bubbles um, that will be 28, that will be 30. I mean, there, there's probably more because Charlotte already has an academy. Right. right? So, like, so yeah. you, you have these bubbles and what, you've, what, you don't, what you're trying to ignore is that there are people coming into the bubble taking good players. And so for every... Brendan Aronson, there is a Julianes. For every Busio, there is Weston McKinney. The reality is the European market recognizes that there are players to be had in this country. That there are I, I think the best way to put it is that there's a softness in Major League Soccer team's ability to recruit and that there are um, there's very little competition for these players. You know, when Bayern Munich comes to sign Weston McKinney, they're not competing against MLS teams. They're competing against FC Dallas. When a Bundesliga team And the University of Virginia. And the University (laughs) of Virginia. And so it makes it easier. And it's so so these teams from Europe are able to come into these markets and recruit these players. Jonathan David out of Toronto, right? Ottawa. And yes. and what what do, and no MLS teams can do that. And so you can't say that you have a monopoly on the market. You don't. You're playing an international game. 
Um, and, and that's, I think, a frustration and something Peter Vermees talks about. You can't pretend that, that no one can come into your market and take a player. All you can say is that no MLS team can come into the market and take a player. And I think what it really does, and, and one of the frustrations for me is what this rule says essentially is that in a market as big as Chicago or Houston or Los Angeles or New York or Toronto, one team, in the case of Toronto, Chicago, Houston, Dallas, one team is the arbiter of talent. One team, one academy director, a few coaches, maybe they have a scout, usually not, is is dictating these are the 25 kids in this age group out of the tens of thousands playing in this market who are going to be put into a professional pipeline for Major League Soccer. Yeah. How is and, that efficient? And, well, by the way, though, even if they nail it, Right, which you're not gonna. Kids change, right? Some kids get better, some kids get worse, some kids grow, some kids don't. Some kids end up not liking soccer, other kids end up loving it, right? So things change in that when, when at that age. Um, but even if they do nail it, 25 for 25, who's to say the 26th or the 27th best kid in LA wouldn't be the third best kid in Minneapolis, you know? And if that kid wants to move to Minnesota and leave California or wherever and and go turn pro at 17, shouldn't he have that opportunity, right? Whereas if you do it this way, now that kid is blocked, right? He cannot sign an MLS contract effectively unless the team is willing to let him go. And like that just doesn't, I don't know, that just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And, and now team, teams can decide to let kids go right they can waive the homegrown rights they another team could come in and say hey you know you guys aren't using this kid can we have him like whatever and 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 that's that's allowed and that's the thing maybe that happens i don't really know um but it's just i don't know like just open up the opportunities i think that leads to good outcomes as long as there are some protections in there so that abuses you're minimizing the risk of right well, I think, I think Sam, like, important. I think there's two, there's two big points I want to make. The first, I want to follow up on what you just talked about. Even if a team does a good job, and let's use the Galaxy as an example, right? They've had their academy since 2007. And in reality, I don't think anyone would argue they've they, done a good job. They didn't, and partly because the emphasis wasn't really there, right? During the Bruce Arena era, the Galaxy were more focused on signing big name players, which, which is fine. And they won the championships, yeah. right? But every young player in the LA market understood there's no point in going to the Galaxy Academy. You're not going to make it through the Academy onto the first team field, right? But if you look at that Academy, Jossie Zardes, who's who's a fake homegrown player, right? He's not a homegrown, is the most he successful did, he homegrown did, he player. Did one to, year one year in the Academy, four than, years of college. Right? Less than. And then and then went and went and signed with the team out of school. And He's the most successful player. Now, there's two promising, maybe three, you could argue, promising players. I would say two national team players, uh, certainly in the conversation for national team, and Efra Alvarez with the Mexican national team, and Julian Araujo with the U.S. national team. Technically not a homegrown, by the way. Right. And a guy who came in late to their academy. They could have kept him there and played him enough credits. They didn't. They signed him right away. Um who are young LA bred players coming through the system now. But if you look since 2007, 
And not even counting the players who left the academy to sign overseas, right? Haji Wright, Alex Mendez, Juliana is like just setting those those players aside for a second. If you look at some of the players who have come out of the LA area but had to go a circuitous route to get to MLS through the it's college like game every other American draft. player in MLS. I mean, <laughs> guys like Frankie Amaya, Christian Ramirez, Miguel Abara, Aaron Long, Steve Birnbaum, all are within I mean, the 75 mile radius. Wasn't of Paul Ariola in the Galaxy Academy? I, I don't know if what, what Paul Ariola's age bracket is. He's probably on the border of when, you know, and a lot of these guys would have been early. Homegrown players where academies were still figuring out what they wanted to be. But the point is, is that even if the Galaxy did an amazing job, it's not their fault that they missed those kids. You can't get every kid in a market as big as LA. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. And to essentially know that, see that, and say that that's a satisfactory result for Major League Soccer is counterintuitive. Even with two teams in that market, there cannot be a confidence that, like you're saying, Sam, that the 51st best player at the U16 level isn't somebody or the U15 level who gets passed over by the Galaxy and ends up at Patiadores or another local club isn't somebody who would fit really well at FC Dallas, which has a proven pipeline. Or Philadelphia Union, who shows that they'll develop players and put them on the field. We'll never know, right? We'll never know. And maybe that kid comes through Patiadoras and signs with UC Santa Barbara and plays for three years and then goes into the super draft. But we've just lost three years of crucial years of development to the college game. And that's not okay now either. So that idea to me is from a business perspective – questionable at best I mean, for Major League Soccer. You I don't have, think it's questionable at all. There's nothing questionable about that. From a league level? Like the a, league from a should business get level, the- what they're doing is they're telling an owner that, that, that your value that you get out of owning a monopoly of your, in your market is more valuable than the collective value for the league of opening up the market. And oh, that's just, counterintuitive. It's counter to it's just the, limiting the, costs, the system of Major League is. Soccer, right? It's a single entity system. It's limiting competition and costs. That's all this is. It's just like everything else in MLS. It's protect the big teams don't want it because they, they're not going to go recruit anyway, right? So they don't want to lose their monopoly. So it doesn't serve them to open this up. The small teams, it might be good for them from a competitive standpoint, but a lot of those smaller market teams are the teams that don't spend money, right? So they're not going to spend money on this anyway. So they might want it, but they're not really going to push for it because they're not going to take full advantage of it anyway, right? So this is allowing the big teams to maintain their monopolies. It's allowing the small teams to say, hey, well, we can't go and do this. We can't go and spend that money and make our academies better because we're not allowed to, right? And so it's just convenient for everybody. There is some push for it within within MLS, but like, I mean, I don't know. It's just, It just seems inefficient to me. I do think that Ali Curtis's point about protecting the kids is really valid. Because if you open this up, you're opening that up too. And I think that's that's something that you would have to guard against. And to be totally honest, it's not something you can guard against perfectly. It's not. And so, like, that's sort of the trade-off here. Um, but, 
I don't know. It, I, I it just, just seems kind of clear to me. I think it's time to reset. Well, I, there's, a, there's a, again, a few points I want to make here. I was talking to somebody yesterday uh, who works in a league front office. Um, sorry, not in the league front office, in the front office for a team in the league. And he made a point that like MLS likes to use the word, uh, the qualifier world class a lot, right? A world class player, a world class prospect, world class facility, world class academy. And the reality is Major League Soccer Academies are a long way from world class, right? Why? Partly, a big partly, right, is that in Europe, like MLS Academies are club teams, right? In Europe, those players at 15, 16, 17, 18 are getting paid, right? They're making money. There is an investment being made in those kids, a real investment that ups the stakes and it ups the competition and the pressure and it you know it's a business it's a part of the business they recognize that yes it's costing us 10 million dollars a year but if we hit on a couple of these kids from these different age groups that should pay for itself right and mls teams are a long way from 10 million dollars a year right so they're a long way from the best academies in the world right there are two million dollars a year and maybe uh, when you look at philly rsl kansas city you start to get higher right four to five right but i think you know that point is important in that i think the idea behind the academies of what domestic young domestic talent could be is starting to become a really important part of the model for mls teams for some mls teams right the understanding that you know investing in your youth not to cut you off but i'm gonna cut you off like i feel like i see a 16 year old playing in almost every damn game now and that wasn't a thing that was happening at all like three years ago. Or pre-pandemic. You know, five, five or seven. Yeah. Like there are so many kids playing now. And I mean, just look at the league website, right? Like all they do is promote the young kids. And like we talk a lot about it. I'm not throwing, throwing shade at any of those guys. But like this is a big important thing for the league, right? Like, And, and why and is it important, It's Sam? clear as that. It's important because, because these players are cheap. Money off of it. Yeah, they're cheap yeah. and they have the highest potential for profit, right? Has it really happened domestic, yet? And you're developing domestic players too, which is important as well. It's right. a good story, you know? So to me, that this is the issue with the homegrown territories. It, it wastes two things. I think, first of all, you know, I make the comparison in this article to Major League Baseball and to college football. You know, every Major League Baseball team has multiple scouts in South Florida. Every Major League Baseball team has multiple scouts in Southern California. Every college football team has assistant coaches who are scouting regions, right? Everyone's looking in those areas. In Major League Soccer, they're not. They're wasting the potential for... Some some actually do. For right? the scouting capital, but, right? But, like but there's very few. There's yeah. no real investment. Like, there's no... Seattle Sounders aren't taking their domestic scouting network and putting them into Chicago, Right. When for the Portland Timbers or no, they're putting them, they're putting them into the unclaimed places like North Carolina or right. Central California, right? It would actually be interesting, Paul, not to be the editor for you on this piece, but it would actually be really interesting to talk to Busio about this, to talk to a kid who's been recruited, right? Like, cause he, it came down to the wire for him between Kansas City and Seattle and he almost went and joined Seattle, but he decided to go to KC instead, right? So you talk about like that cd underbelly again well what's the recruitment actually look like looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. But I think what, what, what I want to go to is the bigger picture here in the sense of you, you're not creating any type of capital, right? Of knowledge, right? This idea that American clubs should know their territories better than anyone else in the world. And instead, that's not true, right? There, when, you know, I'll, I'll use an example of, of an academy director I know who left the market. Larry Sunderland left Chicago to go to Portland, then left Portland to go to Cincinnati. His knowledge that he, that he gained over years of working in those previous two MLS markets is useless by the time he gets to Cincinnati in the terms of in terms of recruitment of those markets, right? He couldn't bring players that he knew from Chicago to Portland. He couldn't reach back out to coaches in Portland to see who the best 14-year-old was to bring into the Portland Academy. Why would you kind of toss that intellectual capital aside, that scouting capital, that network, and, and not really fully utilize it? So I think you're losing a lot of that knowledge that exists in every other you know, in these other leagues where, where scouting is so critical to be able to find players in a country that's so vast, right? You're, you're, again, it's this idea of you're, you're putting that um, responsibility on one team and one very small staff because the majority of MLS teams don't have a huge staff for recruiting academy players, right? If, if they have one at all. If they have one at all. And, you know, I think the other side of it is you – one of the most important things that MLS should have is this enormous domestic player pool to develop. And when you are wasting it away by allowing only one team to have a monopoly over some of the biggest markets in the country, you are limiting your access as a league, as a country to that capital. You you are you know, Dallas is backing up number of players that they have space to play in their first team and no one else can go into Dallas and look for players. Yeah. And this is going to be really interesting to see how it develops over the next few years. Dallas, it's becoming an issue already. It's going to become an issue elsewhere where they're producing too many homegrowns and they can't all play. Dallas is a good example. This is part of the reason they were willing to sign Reggie Cannon. It's because they had Brian Reynolds behind him, ready to go and ready to play. Right. But unless they sold Reggie, then Brian was going to be blocked off. And sure, he could play in USL League One with North Texas SC, but Dallas was ready to see. They thought he was ready for MLS. So at a certain point, the, the returns, the marginal returns from playing in League, in League One or the championship in USL, they start to really diminish and they fall off. And the player needs to make the next step in their development. And if you have too many homegrowns, which is a cool problem to have, right? And good for Dallas on that front. Um, you need to find you need, you need to either sell them or find some other solution and when you have too many homegrowns it becomes a little bit less attractive in some ways for a player to play there in some ways it's it's good right cuz cuz you maybe it's a good chance of getting signed but if you're if you're looking at the pipeline in front of you and say 
man, I'm, I'm a 16-year-old right back, and there are five stud right backs that are 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 in this club. I kind of wouldn't mind going somewhere else, right? Yeah, it's like the opposite problem of the Bruce Arena thing we talked about, right? Sometimes yeah. you're in a market where the club is not a fit. You know, I, yeah. I know people have made this point before, and NYCFC maybe helps it a little bit in New York. But if you're not a midfielder who likes to run and press and you're, you're fitness first, yeah. you're a more technical midfielder, you're not a fit for the Red Bulls. You're right. not. Why, why can't you be a fit for Peter Vermees, who knows about you because he's from Jersey, right? But he can't touch you. He can't recruit you. He can't bring yeah. you in. Or, ta- or Tab Ramos, or tab who knows about you. Or Bob Bradley at LASC because he's from, you know. So all of Why these, are so many people from Jersey? Yeah, well. That's, again, another major soccer hotbed where you really have two to three MLS teams. Still not enough. Still not enough looking in that area. You know, there are still going to be kids that have missed. Again, not through the fault of those teams. There's just too many kids. It's a good problem to have. So the more people you have mining for talent, the better. We talk about slipping through the cracks all the time in American soccer. And how do these kids slip through the cracks? Well, this is one of the ways. Right here, right? Like straight up. Um, I don't know, Paul. I mean, I've, I think I've said everything I have to say on well, the subject. I just want to make one more point. And I think this is, you know, make for me, points. MLS is, you know, partly because I'm not going to be able to make all these in the article. Otherwise, it's just, it's going to be more unwieldy than just it is. Dump right out, now. Just dump out the notebook. But That's I think, you know, for. MLS launched this new Academy League, MLS Next, right? And they have all these other clubs involved. <laughs> MLS <and> Next. <laughs> And they, you know, sounds the, like a wrestling circuit. To me. I, Every time I, I think of it, I think of like WWF. It was not the MLS WWF NWO. I didn't watch wrestling when I was a kid. Anyway, we're moving on from Sam's viewing <laughs> habits as a child. Listen, my point is that the, I think that there are some really cool ideas that they're bringing into MLS next. One of them being a quasi return to the ODP system of. Let's hold some regional camps. Let's identify kids that we normally would have missed, right? From areas where they're where we can't reach um, with the tentacles of the of the MLS Academy or the USSDA, right? It's a it's a novel concept that, that that's actually not. It's a throwback idea, right? But the purpose is to say let's try to find some of these kids who typically slip through the cracks and. The problem is that the notion that the kids, all of the kids slipping through the cracks are the ones that are in these markets where there are no MLS teams or USL teams or whatever, you know, it ignores the fact that, you know, there are going to be players that slip through the cracks, more players probably in these big markets where there are, there's only one team scouting or two teams scouting. And, you know, that's a problem that MLS needs to solve as well. And it's a very – this is not a difficult fix, right? I, I, I'm just going to end it on this. There are some easy solutions that are proposed in this story. Among them, you know, if you if you have a kid joining an academy, they can't be recruited, right? So if a kid's already in the Toronto FC Academy, Sporting Kansas City can't go and take that kid out of the academy, right? It provides some protection. There's an idea of a protected list that's being floated around 
right now in this debate of you know yes. 30 kids more lists more discovery rights discovery on 12 list, year olds for, for, yeah exactly for, for the academy i think you know i think there are ways to protect against recruitment issues right you, same ideas in some ways that that you roll your eyes about with the ncaa but but are valid concepts right like you can't you know you can't shower a kid with gifts to bring him to your academy where he's playing on an amateur contract, right? Where he's not he's not being paid. Things like that that you no can hummers. punish teams for if they no, if they recruit. No BMWs. And you know, I think also, like you mentioned earlier, there can be some age restrictions, right? You give a team a, a team in a market a chance to find a kid by 14 or 15, by 15, let's say, and if they haven't found them by and signed them by 15, at age 16, they can start to be recruited. And, you know, that gives that home market still a massive advantage, a massive advantage to identify these kids by that age. And I don't think it'll be as late as 16. I think I think every other GM that wants this to change would kind of say that's way too late in the game for us. But I think there are ways to kind of use age to, um, to kind of arbitrate what what kind of transaction occurs if that makes sense so it does make sense there are some some easy solutions here i don't know that they'll be reached this is a debate sam you said it earlier it's been happening for years to the point that we as reporters have heard about it coming close to a resolution for two or three years now it's been debated for far longer than that it's been it's been debated i have many many one very important in question i have one very important question for you paul um, you know, we've been ta- we've been kind of hinting at college football and basketball and recruiting and stuff. And one of like the things about recruiting in those sports is like the bag men, right? And all these like sneaky cash payments and little things against the rules that these guys going to Bama or LSU or wherever, Ohio State, et cetera, et cetera. Um, have for committing to those schools. So if if this were to open up in MLS and it was going to turn into the wild wild west, which team you think would have the best bag men? You know, which which team out there has like the the highest proportion of like fans that own car dealerships that are willing to like pay like a hundred k a year for a seventeen year old to do a no show job? What do you think? I have a real answer to this, Sam. That I'm going to tell you after the show. <laughs> what? No, you can't do that. Yeah, I can no. definitely do that. No, you can't. Oh, I will yeah. end this show right um, now. No, no, no. Um, but I think that Paul, that is so unfair. To I think the there's an easy answer doing. to this. Can right? you can you apologize? I want you to apologize. I apologize to, to the people that I won't tell you the real reason I'm going to pick a team. But I think that there's an easy answer for which you know where where is the seediest behavior going to happen in the MLS Academy world? Come on, there's probably only one answer to this question. Say it. My hometown, baby. Orlando. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, they already got the experience with the Gators and the Knolls, you know? And UCF. Like, you can't leave UCF out, my friend. Blake Bortles. I mean, but the Gators and the Knolls fans have been doing that. They've been in this game a lot longer. The boosters down there, right? You get a couple of them in purple, you know? All bets are off. Although, Inter-Miami, you know, the U, the Canes, that's a whole different beast, so... I don't know, and and you know maybe it's Atlanta, happening in maybe, Florida. Let's just maybe be, Atlanta United. No, maybe it's, Atlanta it's United has Florida. maybe Atlanta United has something to say here. They have a lot of fans, first of all, and second of all, I mean Atlanta. That's like the capital of the SEC. You have Georgia fans, you have Bama fans, you have Auburn fans. These are all elite schools 
in this game. So, you know, maybe they can start double dipping in MLS. I mean, who am I kidding? Like 70 year old college football fans that are into this are going to be doing stuff for MLS. No, of course not. But like, it'd be funny. (laughs) There's a really easy way around that for MLS. You know, you can sign the kid to a pro contract. Then you don't need to sneak anything. Um, yeah, but I mean, that's the concept of that would of require a lot more is, investment. Uh, it's would. much funnier, much much funnier. Um, All right, anyway, Sam, are we moving on? You're the host of this thing. Come on. I don't know, man. Are we moving on? Sure, let's move on. I, you know, we had a topic planned, but I'm not going to talk about that because I'm not interested in it anymore. So I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Okay. Um, points per game for the playoffs. It's looking like for these teams for the final standings. They still don't know exactly what's going to happen. But one thing I wanted to throw at you, Paul, playoff games, in theory, it doesn't look like they're going to get moved back from what I've been told. November 20th looks like it's going to be the same start date, December 12th, the end date for MLS Cup. Playoff games are going to be happening every three days pretty regularly, right? What happens if a team has a COVID outbreak, man, during the playoffs? Three days for games, there's not going to be time to recover. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's a clear answer to that. I think there is a hold your breath, cross your fingers, and hope that you get through it without an outbreak. And and I think it's worth pointing out that there's there's only been one outbreak during this regular season, right? So it would be a worst-case scenario. But you might not even need a full outbreak. If you have one or two positives, like... Yeah, I mean, it just depends because, like, there hasn't really been a true consistency to how MLS handles that, right? I mean, let's look, let's go look at the Minnesota situation, Minnesota, Chicago, and I think the Columbus, Orlando situation, and how differently that was handled than DC United against Red Bulls, which was like two days prior or three days prior. DC United went to their game, got tested again, and, and played in New York, right? NYCFC, they played the game. A few days later, a, a positive or two positives, in the case of Minnesota, canceled the game, postponed the game. So MLS has shown, for Minnesota, right? Yeah, they, both both of those games, right? Yeah. So it, MLS has shown, though, a willingness to play a match despite a positive on a team. They have shown that willingness. So I think if it's only one or two positives... You, you might see the DC United tactic being used of, okay, if they test negative today, this morning, we'll do some rapid tests and boom, throw them out on the field and play the game. It's when it starts to, to go beyond that, that there's a problem. And I, I, that's what I think happens. If there is a, a outbreak, I think, I think the only answer is forfeit. Am I crazy? No, I don't think so. Um, I could just because I don't really see any other viable alternatives when the games are happening that fast, unless you want to push the entire playoff schedule back a week. And then there's still no guarantee that the team will be ready by then. Um, which, so I don't see that happening for a million different reasons, but yeah, I don't know. Let's, let's hope we don't have to think about that anymore, but it is something that I wanted to throw at you here just to kind of, you know, get the gears turning up in that head of yours. Um, anything else you want to do uh, get off your chest here this week? No, I mean, I think that, uh, man, you, you got me having to think about Major League Soccer playoffs. We're, we're at that time of year. so uh, Less we'll than see. a month away. It's Four weeks time. from today, I believe. Exciting times, Sam. Exciting times. 
something like that. Um, it's I think every team has to play about eight games or, or 12 games before we get there. So it, it seems far away. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm Sam Stasekull. He's Paul Tenorio. This has been Allocation Disorder. Thank you for listening. And uh, I'll just reiterate the message that we shared at the top of the show. All of our love and all of our thoughts to Daryl and his family. And to you too, Taylor. Um, stay strong out there and uh, just know that we're supporting you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.